This uh, chapter here in Hebrews is referred to as the Hall of Faith. It's about a group of people throughout Scripture who performed great feats of faith, a lot of things that happened, and these, these folks here demonstrated uh, great faith. Towards the close of this chapter is where I want to read today and uh, talk a little bit. And um, beginning at verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell. Now, after he's gone through all of these heroes of the faith throughout this chapter, then he comes to this last part and he says, For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, now get this, through faith, these people that he's referring to in this chapter, who through faith subdued kingdoms. One translation says conquered kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Another translation would say administered justice. Obtained promises. One translation would say gained what was promised. Healing is something that's been promised to us. You've got to gain that. And he's saying through faith you gain promises. And then he begins to tell other things that these people of faith began to do to do some of the things that they did with these, these things he's mentioned here. He says, stopped the mouths or shut the mouth of lions. Escaped the edge of the sword. Oh, I'm sorry. Quench the fire. Quench the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, there's a portion here that I want to focus on today and I want to try to talk about in these verses, three verses of Scripture, and he talks about and he lists some heroes of the faith. He goes through and he talks about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, and then he comes down here and he says in verse 34, out of weakness were made strong. You know, you read about these guys and you realize that we have a Bible that tells us things and we have history to go back and talk about things. We read the Word of God and, and, and when you understand, we've been studying just in the last year the book of Acts, the book of Romans, we're in the book of Galatians right now and, and it's been fascinating as you go through the book of Acts you begin to read the book of Acts as you go through the Gospels, you realize these people who began the church, and that's what we're talking about in Romans and Galatians and the church beginning that Jesus came and said, I'm going to build a church, and he came to die and do what he uh, uh, came to do. We look back and we have scripture that helps us. 
So I want to be careful today that I, don't, that I don't come across as attacking some of these folks that we're talking about here because they didn't have everything that we had. But I want you to think for just a moment with me. Do you realize that Jesus came, spent three to three and a half years with his disciples Jesus taught them and told them that he came to die for the sins of the world and he dies, gets crucified, and they're surprised. You ever think about it? These guys are shocked that he dies. And he has told them what's going to happen. He has gone through what's taken place. I mean, it's almost like he didn't tell them, but he did. We know that he did. Jesus was born to die. We know that. And when he died, these guys were shocked. You say, well, are you sure Jesus told them? Well, I can tell you this. Isaiah told them before Jesus even came. Isaiah prophesied all of this, and they knew that he, he was the one that they were prophesying. They knew he was the Messiah. They knew what the Messiah was coming to do. Yet these guys are shocked when it happened. When he's resurrected, they start telling everybody that somebody stole the body. Think about it. They're shocked because they didn't have a Bible telling them what was going to happen. Now, again, it's easy for us to look back at them it's easy for us. I realize this. Hindsight is easier than when you're going through it yourself. How many over your life, you've gone through some things that at the time you didn't realize the hand of God was involved in what was going on, and you look back at it and you realize God was in the middle of this thing all the time? Anybody ever had that happen in your life? Well, sure, every one of us has. You walk with God and you don't know what's going to happen and a miracle happens, a, a miraculous thing takes place, God begins to do something and, and we look back at it and we see, man, God was in that and involved with this all along, but at the time we were going through it, we were scared, we were afraid, we didn't know what was going on, we were shocked at what was taking place and what was happening. So Jesus comes, he, he, he came to do what he was supposed to do, um, he prepared them, yet all of the disciples were surprised. So today, what I'm wanting to do is to encourage you and to speak to you about something called, it's almost a dirty word in Christian circles today. Some of you may think I'm cussing. It's a word called endurance. All you mean as a Christian, I'm going to have to endure some things? I thought that this was pie in the sky. I thought it was easy. I thought it was, well, you know, you look back over things and you, you, you realize as you look back, you know, it was, huh? Let me, let me ask you all a question. Ladies? What can you tell me about childbirth? <laughs> Which one? Do you need a little endurance to birth a child? 
Huh? Sure you do. I mean, I, I don't know how you describe the process. Phyllis Diller, I think, described it best. Y'all have probably heard her. She said, take your lower lip, pull it out, now stretch it over your head. <laughs> now, all of us sometimes need someone to tell us, keep going, don't quit. Hang in there. Don't stop. Turn around right now and look at somebody and say, you need to keep going. Look at somebody and tell them that. Tell somebody else. You need to keep going. Frank, you need to keep going. How many of you know that? We need to keep going. We need to hang in there. Sometimes you need somebody to tell you you're going to make it. Everybody look at me. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Some of you are looking at me and say, I've given all I can give. I've done all I can do. I, I, don't, I just don't know if I can do more. You've got more to give than you think you do. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what you, where you are, what you're facing, what you're dealing with. You've got more to give. You've got what it takes. Look at somebody and tell them, you've got what it takes. Tell somebody, will you? Got to just keep pressing on. You don't stop. Now, I'm saying all that because I want to talk about this. When I read this passage of scripture, this just jumped at me this week. When you begin reading here, and you start looking at all of the things they did when it talks about subduing kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. And then you start looking at how they stopped the mouths of lions. You see all of this, this uh, quench the violence of fire, uh, escape the edge of the sword. And then this thing just jumped at me out of weakness, out of weakness, we're made strong. Say that with me right now. Would you say out of weakness? We're made strong. Now, the book of Hebrews, that years ago they would attribute this as one of Paul's writings. Later on, they have in these later years with study and research, they, they, they say that it was probably somebody who was a follower of Paul, that it doesn't really fit Paul's writings exactly, but it was possibly somebody who was a follower of Paul. But it was written to Jewish Christians who lived in Jerusalem. Now, its purpose was that they wanted to exhort these Christians to persevere in the face of persecution. They were being persecuted. Let me say it to you like this. You've got to understand, this book was written to the Christians in Jerusalem who had been converted from the Jewish faith to Christianity, by the way, they didn't call them Christians at that time. If you'll remember in the book of Acts, they called it the way. Y'all remember anybody that was in the book of Acts? They, kept, they called it the way. They, did, they weren't known as Christians. You've you got to understand, none of these churches that we read about in Scripture had their 501c3 status. 
we've all been part of organized religion. We've all been a part of an organized Christianity. These guys were doing church a certain way, and all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. He goes through what he goes through with the apostles, and I'm saying what I say about the 12 apostles. He tells them he's going to die, be buried, and resurrected from the dead, and that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He goes through and tells all them, and they, this all happens. It begins to take place, and they're shocked. And it's amazing, as you begin to study this and understand, you, you, you realize the Apostle Paul comes along with a Damascus Road experience and he begins to follow God and, 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 and preach the gospel and the guys in Jerusalem won't even listen to him. It's 20 years before the Apostle Paul can get the boys in Jerusalem to accept him. There's just a lot that, that's still going on. And, it, and, and, you know, so at the time this is being written, it's still in question whether or not this new religion, this new walk, this new sect, if you would call it that, would have any influence in the world or over the city. At this time, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what to say. And you've, you, you've got to understand that they're approaching Walking with God in a brand new way. They're used to the sacrifice of animals. They're used to coming to church and offering up, killing animals, offering up a sacrifice for sins. They're used to doing things a certain way. Now, all of a sudden, they are coming to God, they are approaching God through the once and for all finished work of Jesus Christ, he becomes the lamb, the spotless lamb of God, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We look back at it and we've read about it and we've known about it most of our life, but to them it was brand new. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have it all spelled out. Didn't have it all laid out. Now listen carefully to me. When Faith said, which one? That reminded me of, do you know what it was when you were a newly, a new parent, first child? Do you all know as a pastor the difference in the first child and the fifth child? Huh? If I want something done in the nursery, I get a brand new mother, first baby they've ever had. You know why? Because they're going to have everything. I could remember going, Amanda, you all may know Amanda Dawes. Amanda came and lived with us. She got uh, married and, and had a baby. And, and when, when we got up to uh, Baltimore, where where wasn't Baltimore, huh? Pennsylvania, Hershey. When we got up there to go in, and it was the first baby, she started laying out all the rules. She started doing everything. We had to put on a gown. We had to put on gloves. We had to put on a mask. We had to put on a... This was, I mean, you wouldn't want to bring nothing into that baby. You understand? When Henry come along and we got there, she said, I'm sorry for what I put you through the last time. Go on in. People come to the nursery, and by the time you have five for the fifth one, they really would like for us to put one of those conveyor belts out there so they could just pull up and throw the baby out on the conveyor belt and let it just... 
shoot right into the nursery, okay? You know, are all the toys over there safe? If you want new toys, you get a brand new mother. And you tell the husband, y'all better go over there and check. I heard there's some things in there that need replaced. And that family will get you all the stuff. Now, if the grandparents are new, you really got a double portion of anything you want. <laughs> so, now, follow me. Hear me careful. Listen to what I'm trying to say. This new religion, again, I don't want to call it Christianity because they called it the way. That's what they called it in Acts. It was, it, it, it was obvious. So the writer here to the Hebrews calls forth all these great characters throughout Scripture that had gone before. He calls them all kinds of things. He calls them a great cloud. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. He begins trying to talk to this brand new church, this brand new way that is being brought into being. In, in chapter 12, listen, listen to some of the language. He says here, Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with, what's the word? Y'all, are y'all reading it up there? Everybody say endurance. We lay aside the sin. He said, we're surrounded. Let me ask y'all. Do y'all realize we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses? Just like they were. It hasn't changed. And, and, and he's saying, lay aside and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now watch this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. Can you say endured? He endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured. Everybody say endured. Such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Now today we live in a time where people want to talk about, you know, I put something on Facebook and they just attack me and they come against me. I tell you, I'm so discouraged. I don't know what to do. Well, don't look at Facebook. That'll help you get. I'm just saying, I'm not telling you to get off Facebook. I'm just saying, I learned real quick. Do not comment on controversial subjects on Facebook because Everybody on there who doesn't have to look you in the eye and stand to you face to face are bold and they'll say anything to you. And I would do it and guess who would get mad? I didn't make it. I don't know if I made anybody mad or not, but they sure made me mad. Am I talking to anybody? None of you know what Facebook is, do you? All right. Listen to me. Guys, sometimes we just need to come to church just to be reminded that you're not the only one going through stuff. If I went around this room right now, there's some people going through some stuff. Any of you going through stuff? Huh? Am I talking to anybody? 
Look at somebody and say, it's not me, he must be talking to you. Let's go back to verse 32. Richard, I'm probably going to use verse 32 here a few times in the next few moments, so I, 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 want, I want to talk about some of these guys here in verse 32. He goes through here, and one of the guys he lists is David. Can you say David? Here we have some examples that he gives us about perseverance and endurance. These are some people that he uses as examples. David is one of the ones that he used. Most of us know the shepherd who became a king. Uh, He uses David as an illustration that God can turn weakness into strength. And that's that's what I'm focusing on is where weakness he made strong. And and David is a, a, a great example, you know. Samuel comes to the house looking for a king. God comes, uh, Samuel comes and says to Jesse, God's uh, going to anoint a king out of your family. And, and David's the youngest of the boys. They didn't even invite, they didn't even invite him in to be chosen. They, nobody in the family thought he was even a candidate. And after Samuel goes through all of the boys, hear this Samuel, uh, I mean, hear this David is there, and he says, is this all? Have you got any? He said, well, there's that little shepherd boy out there in the field. We'll bring him in. And lo and behold, he's the guy. So David was known among his people as weak, not being something powerful, not being something strong. He, 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 he's not known as, as being something good. David is the same guy who took the slingshot and killed Goliath and nobody. Saul didn't believe it. None of the people believed it. Nobody thought David was able to do what God had called him to do. Nobody even believed that David was a candidate, that he could do it. Nobody thought anything. No, you know, they can't do it. So the writer to the Hebrews brings up David who persevered and endured. You know the story, you read the story, we've preached about David, I mean the king Saul came after him, tried to kill him, he had a group of misfits, nobody who was anybody wanted to join themselves to him, but he took all those misfits and he still conquered and did everything that he was supposed to do, but nobody thought David was the candidate to be. Another person in verse 32 is... You look at it there, is Samuel. David is mentioned with Samuel, and Samuel is the prophet who anointed David. Now, here's what you've got to know about Samuel. Samuel was somebody who was not a likely candidate. He was born uh, in a barren situation. His mother, Hannah, uh, couldn't have a baby, and she prayed to the Lord uh, about having a baby. Uh, uh, she was provoked by her rivals every day. They attacked Hannah. They said, you're not going to have a child. Nothing's going to come of you. And, and, you know, how many of you realize when you have a little bit of adversity sometime and somebody comes against you, it causes you to pray more than you'd normally pray? You know, somebody was saying, you know, I guess we're just going to have to pray. And one of the ladies looks at, has it come to that? Sometimes we don't pray every day like we should, but when we get in a real tough situation, something comes to get us, then we decide, you know what, we need to pray. Now, it makes sense to me that he would mention Samuel, 
who was a hero with endurance. There's so many things. We don't have time, as he says in here, to talk about all of the great things. But Samuel was not a likely candidate to come in and change the whole priesthood system. The priesthood was in a very bad way, and Samuel came in and changed the whole thing and started hearing from God. Then he starts talking about some judges. He begins to mention that when the children of Israel went into the promised land, they had some cities and some enemies that was in the promised land, some things that they uh, uh, had to encounter, some problems they had to deal with, some enemies that need uh, to be conquered. And so they would fight against these groups, the the Philistines, you'll remember that, the the, uh, Amorites and and. God would raise up a deliverer to help the children of Israel to do what they needed to do. One of them that's mentioned is Gideon. Do you all see Gideon here? Gideon, in verse 32, is one of the kings that's mentioned here. And Gideon, most of us have heard this story. We've preached it numerous times. But he was a wimp who was threshing wheat in a wine press on the threshing floor, and God called him a warrior. God said, you're a mighty man of God. And Gideon did not see himself as anything. He saw himself as a nobody. But God said, no, you're a warrior. God contradicted the way he saw himself. Let me tell you, some of you, God contradicts the way you see yourself. You don't see yourself as victorious, as an overcomer. Gideon felt like the least in the whole tribe of Manasseh. But God, in spite of Gideon, used Gideon anyway to become a warrior and bring about God's purpose. What I'm saying is, if you want to turn weakness into strength and you're looking for examples, David's a great example. Samuel's a great example. Are you with me? Gideon is a great example. Weakness to strength. Then in verse 32, he mentions a guy that probably most of you here don't even know who he is. Jephthah. Jephthah was a judge who presided over Israel. I wrote this down and listen carefully as I read this to you. It says... He lived in Gilead. His father's name is also given as Gilead. And his mother is described as a prostitute. Now listen to this. The reason that they said his father's name was Gilead, which was the same name as the city or the area that he was from... They said his father's name was Gilead because this may indicate that his father may have been any one of the multiple men of Gilead because his mother was a prostitute. There were so many men there that knew his mother that they just called his dad. That's what the scripture calls his dad is Gilead. His brothers despised him, kicked him out. He found himself, the Bible says, with a whole group of worthless men. That's exactly what the Bible says, a group of worthless men. He takes those worthless men, and because he was a deliverer that God had set up, God uses Jephthah to bring deliverance to the people. So here in Hebrews, we have these men. 
put verse 32 up again. Notice, we have Jephthah, David, Samuel, Gideon, and Barak. Now, Barak was a senator from Hawaii who became the president of... Oh, <laughs> oh this is another Barak, isn't it? Okay. Barak, he was also a fella who was used of God. He's a judge. He is paired with this woman called Deborah. And she is a kind of behind-the-scenes woman. She's a leader, and she tells uh, him that, uh, you know, you, you need to go and you need to do this. And he says, well, you know, I'm not going unless you go. So God used him. She went. And God used him for the victory. God got in as reluctant as he was to go. He goes and he does what God wants accomplished. Then we come to the last one on this list, which is Samson. Can you say Samson? Let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of Samson? Huh? Strength. What else? Hair. Yeah, that's the two things. Strength and hair. You can almost go to any church and anybody who's grown up in church has heard stories about Samson. Well, you go through and you look at all of the people that he uses in this illustration and he begins to talk about, I understand David, I understand Samuel, I understand Jephthah, I understand Brock, I understand Gideon, I understand all these people that he's using and then in the middle of this, he begins to talk and you got to understand we're talking about in the middle of a context that says somebody who went from weakness to strength. When I think of Gideon, I mean, when I think of Samson, I think of a guy who began strong, who went strong, who was very strong, but uh, he, he, he ended up with a haircut and became weak. Samson, strength and hair. You know, if you go back and read all of the stories about Samson, you know, and again, almost all of us have heard about Samson. He was a legend. He's known for his strength. Have you seen how a lot of people act when they see a mouse? Huh? This guy's taking a walk one day, and a lion comes up. Not a mouse. A lion comes up, and Samson grabs that line with his bare hands and rips it in two. The Bible says he literally barehanded tore the line apart. Think about this. Here is a guy just powerful. I mean, he is full of strength. But when I think of Samson, I don't think he had strength. He went to weakness. You read through and begin to read in the story of Samson, and Samson was somebody who was definitely used of God, and we, 
we see that involved. But, but Samson did some, I mean, he, he was not a very good decision maker. Do you all understand that? Now, this ought to help some of you. If you just go read the story of Samson, you'll find out that Samson was not one of those guys who got it together and had it together. Him and David are two of the greatest encouragements to me that ever was. Y'all realize that? You want to talk about somebody who was a murderer? David was a murderer. Do y'all realize Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness because he committed a murder? He was a murderer, but God used him. God can't use me because I don't pray very much. God can't use me because I grew up in a tough situation. God just can't use me. God used Samson. Samson, from the very get-go, was kind of like David in that every woman who come across his path grabbed his attention and sidetracked him. Every woman, every woman. He was sidetracked by every one of them. And, and, and you've got to understand, he was this, this great man full of strength. He got into this one situation where 30 guys came to him and he gave them a riddle. He says, if you all can get this riddle figured out, I'll buy every one of you new clothes, linens and new clothes, 30 people. I'll buy all of you new clothes. If you don't figure it out, you're going to have to buy me 30 outfits. This is in the Bible. You can read it. So they come to his wife and begin to threaten her and tell her what they're going to do to her and to her father. She gives him the answer to the riddle. Samson loses, and you know what he does? He goes to another area, kills 30 men, and takes their clothes to give it to them. This guy's incredible. I'm not saying it was wise. I'm not saying he was smart. I'm just saying he was incredible with strength. Here's a guy who, you know, when you look at the, the, the story of what's, what's going on with him, his own people get fed up with him. He, he's, he's, he's supposed to whip the Philistines. That's his enemy. And God designed him to do that. And here he gets hooked up with a Philistine woman. He gets uh, in love with this Philistine woman. He gets in, into all these things. And, and so, so anyway, when, when, when you begin to understand and look what's going on, He's called to deliver the children of, uh, of Israel from the Philistines. And, and you know, he, he, just, he just keeps making stupid decisions, wrong decisions. So Samson was strong. Everybody say strong. Here's a guy that had so much power, so much strength. But when he died, it was pitiful. He could have done so much. Here's a guy. Gets tied up. They're always trying to destroy him. Come at him. He's so strong. Tie him up. Send him up. He breaks free. They're going to kill him. They're trying to decide to kill him picks up the jawbone of a donkey and slays with a jawbone 1,000 Philistines. This guy is a machine. He is a killing machine. Strong, powerful, mighty. But he gets in the lap 
of a Philistine woman. And in Judges chapter 16, verse 19, it says, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Now again, we're in a chapter where the writer of the Hebrews is writing to the church at Hebrews. And he's talking about from weakness to strength. And in the middle of talking about all of these people who were weak, being made strong, Samson is one that is there. Now the reason this deal, this thing with his hair was such a big deal is because Samson as a young man had taken the Nazarite vow and he took the Nazarite vow which set him apart for God and for a special purpose. Now the Nazarite vow consisted of three things. Number one, he couldn't drink any alcohol. Number two, he couldn't touch a dead body. And number three, you can't cut your hair. That's what the Nazarite vow was about. He's already done the first two. All that's left is number three. And here he gets in the lap of this woman. And she has his strength, his hair cut off. And it says there, his strength left him. Now let me just stop right here for a moment and look at some of you. And I want to say to some of you, maybe that's where you are. The way God began to speak to me was to say to me, you've done some things, son. You've accomplished some things. You've been used. You've done a few things, but I still have some things I want you to do. And God may be looking at some of you and saying, you know, you may think that you have accomplished what you want and that something has happened, that the enemy has come and he's caught you where he wants you and he's got you in a position where all of a sudden you have gone from strength to weakness. You were in power, now you have no power. You're just like Samson where you were there and had all these things going and all of a sudden because of bad decisions, you're in a predicament. Now, when life gets shaky, when you don't know what to do, sometimes we need to become stabilized. Does anybody here know what this is right here? Hmm? You know what that is? This is called a stabilizing bar, ball. What this is designed to do is to, when you sit on it, this one's a little short, but it's supposed to help you strengthen muscles in your pelvic area, in your core, in your lower back, and it helps you with stabilizing. It doesn't in and of itself has any strength. But as you are stabilized on here and you use muscles that you would never use in the normal course of what you're doing to stabilize you and bring stabilization to your system. 
One of the things that we had years ago was uh, we used to have a little trampoline, and one of the things that you would do with a, a trampoline was you'd get on the trampoline and just bounce every day because if you would get on that trampoline and bounce every day, it would cause your lymph nodes to begin to function and to do things and to work in ways that if, if it wasn't anything strenuous, it was to cause certain things in your body that would help stabilize you and bring certain factors in your being where you become strong, stronger, I should say, stabilized. How many of you understand some of you were raised in unstable homes? I've talked to fathers who've said, I'm a horrible father, I'm a terrible father, why? And you look back, and the reason they think they're a terrible father is because they were raised in an unstable home, and they see things happening that they wish wouldn't happen in their home, and they just see them think themselves in a bad picture or a bad way. And today I'm trying to preach this message because I want you to see and I want you to understand God never used perfect people to do anything. God took people with their flaws, with their faults, Every one of these people had things about them that weren't good. Do you all realize what an unstable world we live in today? I don't want to get into making, I'm not trying to make issues, but I'm going to tell you something. We're, we're, it's unstable where we are today as a nation, where we are as a people. We are in an unstable situation. Samson was an unstable man sent to deliver an unstable people. This guy didn't understand the connection between his strength and stability. He was constantly doing things, breaking rules that were designed to help him be successful. As I read a few moments ago from chapter 12, there were certain things that he said there in, in uh, Hebrews 12 when it says, uh, uh, therefore surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Listen to me. There are things that keep creeping up in our lives, things that some of us keep allowing to happen in our lives, and, and these sins are designed to ensnare you or to choke, choke out your confidence, to choke out your ability to let God use you. you wanna, God wants to use you to witness to somebody, or God wants to use you to pray for somebody, and you're afraid to pray for them because you know what you said last night to your mate. You know how you acted the other day at work. You know all of the faults that you have and you're afraid for God to use you. God used some very unstable people. Do you all know that? Look at somebody beside you and say, God can even use you. Tell them that. Help me, Lord. Some of, you are, some of you are much stronger than life is making you look. 
Life has been designed to make you look unstable, unsuccessful, weak. The enemy wants to make you look weak. Your strength is not what we're after. I'm after God's strength. I realized this week that because of situations and circumstances in life and all of the cares of life that I'm not loving with God's love like I ought to be loving. That I'm not accepting people the way God accepts people like I should be accepting people. And I'm not forgiving people like God wants me to forgive people or like God forgives people and I know I need His love, His acceptance, His forgiveness, His strength, His ability operating in my life. Confession's good for the soul and whether you all have any flaws or faults or not, I'm telling you, I'm asking God to help me. And when I began to look at Samson and see this guy and I realize all of the things that he had done and all of the blunders that he had made, but how God continued to use him, I began to ask myself, am I stable? Let me ask you this morning. How stable are you in your walk with God? Let me talk for just a moment about your emotional stability. Your emotional stability. You know, are your emotions stable? Samson was controlled by his emotions. His emotions called him. Now, you know, some people, all the men put up your hand. You see how many men's in here? Put your hands up, please, all the men. Okay, all the women, put your hands up. Okay, there's more women here today than men. Most people think that women are more emotional than men. I'm not sure that's true. Samson and the women in his life they would get emotional and they would cry. Samson would get emotional and he'd go kill somebody. You tell me which one's worse. <laughs> Emotions are valuable. If I had no emotion as a pastor... We'd be singing, worshiping the Lord, praising God, and I'd come out here and I'd look at you and I'd say, Praise the Lord if you want to. Sing praises to God when it's good for you. 
sometimes you need somebody to yell at you just to get your attention. I can't preach it if I don't feel it. But if I'm feeling something, I want you to know. Now, what I have discovered is the same emotion that I have in the pulpit can be disastrous to me behind the wheel of an automobile. You understand that? But how would it be if I come out every day and just had no emotion whatsoever? Sometimes you got to get serious and talk in a serious way. Emotions are very, very good. The problem with some people is not that emotions, that you don't have emotions. Some of you have a problem because your emotions totally control your life. You don't control your... See, God gave me emotions. He gave you emotions. They're mine. He gave them to me. They're my emotions. My emotions aren't your emotions. My feelings aren't your feelings. He gave them to me. But when my emotions come in charge and become to be in control of my life, some people don't have a problem with alcohol. Alcohol controls them. Some people take medications all the time, but the medication doesn't control them. Some people feel things all the time. But when your emotions begin to control you, you are just addicted, as addicted to your emotions as somebody else may be to alcohol. That God gave us emotions. They're good. Some of us are unstable in our emotions. Some of us are unstable in our commitment. It's amazing to me. Three things Samson was committed to. No alcohol. Can't touch a dead body. Can't cut your hair. He wasn't committed to any of them. Was guilty of all three and lost because he wasn't committed. Another thing that happened to Samson, and I'm closing, was ambition. Samson lost his ambition. You know, one of the things they did to him at the end there, I'm going to read it to you here in just a moment, but they took away his sight. They took away his sight. Now, here's what you don't understand. Here's what you don't see. Samson really lost his vision, his sight, 20 years before they plucked his eyes out. But here's a man who had strength, who had God, who had power with God. And let me just read this to you. Here in Judges 16, beginning at verse 25. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. Here he is in prison, beaten, his eyes are plucked out, his hair's been cut off. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Now, one of the things they forgot 
when they cut Samson's hair was they didn't take his scalp off because in the time period from when Delilah had cut his hair, guess what started happening? His hair began to grow again. Now watch. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his entire life. His strength came back. And it's a sad story. But even in his death, he accomplished more. Because he knew where his strength come from. Today, what I'm trying to say to each of us is we need to stabilize ourselves. We need to come to a place in a world that desperately needs God and say to God, my emotions are no longer going to be in charge of my life. My commitment is to God and His Word. And my vision, my desire in my heart, my ambition is to please my Heavenly Father in all that I do. Andrew made a great statement a while ago. God is good. Did you hear me? God is good. We sang about it. The word of the Lord is God is good. And God wants you to represent him with his goodness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you can use us for your glory, for your honor, for your help. Help us to see and to know and to understand your will and your way. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. Use this, Lord.